Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Salty Pastor with Dr. Douglas Peak, lead pastor at Foothills Christian Church in Boise, Idaho, oh, Boise, Idaho, <laughs> for over 23 years. Uh, I am Jesse Mayer, your host for today. Our goal in doing these podcasts is to give each person engagement with Foothills Christian Church um, an opportunity to dig deep into the scriptures and to hear how these scriptures apply to the issues we're facing today in our world. So, without further ado, let's welcome Pastor Doug to the podcast and get started. Well, good morning, Jesse. Did you get up a little late today or too early? A little, little early, I think, is the issue. I was stumbling. You're, you're, you're mildly tongue-tied today, which is rare for you. I know. I never stop talking, as most of the people in the office will tell me, so... No, thanks for that great introduction. So, so this week we started our new series, The New Normal. Um, mm-hmm. We're in the middle of it. Um, it's all about how we deal with change in our lives. Our focus is how we tend to respond as humans mm-hmm. um, to rapid change and what God has the opportunity to do in us in the midst of that change. Mm-hmm. Um, so where have we gone in the scriptures to find these answers? What's this kind of themed around? What, what's the verses? Well, we're in uh, the story of the original family in the book of Genesis, and it's basically... In the way, way back. Way, way back in the beginning. And we're focusing on uh, a particular individual, and that's Joseph. And he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob was the second son of Isaac, and Isaac is the son of Abraham. Did you get these all? Did you have to review these, or you got those? Oh, yeah. The lineage is the lineage pretty solidified in the brain, or is it a is it a it's, have to review process? It's someday? getting better. It's <laughs> get, yeah, I had to brush up. That's for sure. And what's fascinating is Abraham is the father of probably when you think about it, the largest group of belief in the world today. You have approximately 1.8 billion Muslims throughout the world, and all Muslims Mm. trace their heritage back to Father Abraham through Ishmael, his firstborn son, through the maidservant Hagar. And then you have Jewish people. They trace their entire lineage back to God through Isaac's second son, birthed to Sarah, who was the, the, the master of Hagar. And his name was Isaac. And then because of that, Christ came out of the seed of Abraham through King David, the seed of David. He was born out of the house of David. And he is, of course, the central figure in Christianity as our Lord and Savior. Right. So and there are probably about 2.6 to 2.9 billion Christians in three major forms Eastern Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, and Protestantism throughout the globe today. And so we find that you add all that up, you've the three major monotheistic religions, and you've got two-thirds of the world's population. Absolutely. All from this one family. Just this one family. It's pretty amazing. And so we're focusing on on uh, Joseph and what he went through because that shows it really tracks probably one of the biggest changes in this family and that is how they left Canaan the promised land and they went to Egypt and they were there for a period of time and then they were enslaved and then they came back and repossessed the land right so 
most of the of what we covered on Sunday was Genesis chapter 37, I believe, is where we were yes, at. Yes, we started chapter 37. 37. But the next chapter of the story is chapter 38. So what's happening in that next next well, it's really interesting because this whole chunk from 37 on to the end of the book is all about Joseph. But in chapter 38, there's this little departure where he talks about the author, which was Moses, talks about Judah and Tamar. And Judah was the fourth son of Leah, which was Joseph's dad's first wife. He married Leah first and birthed four children right off right. the bat. Because he had multiple wives. We kind of discussed yes. that last week and yeah. on Sunday. Yeah, he had. He officially married Leah, and then he married uh, Rachel. And then what happened is Leah had a maidservant, and uh, Rachel had a maidservant. And this was Bilhah and Zilpah. And I think, you know, that is important to understand that. I want to dig into that a little bit more this morning, and that is just basically that... Uh, it's really hard to understand how that works, but if you go back and you realize there's zero central government, there's zero safety nets, the only structure in all society is basically your family. Right. And so uh, what happens is you might have uh, girls that lose their family, they have no family, but they were ethnically... Uh, similar or ethnically the same and so what would happen is other families would basically adopt these kids right so they okay. would adopt them into their family well i'm not saying this is right or wrong but what they would do then is then you would be bound together with another female in that family and the purpose of that had to do with dowries it had to do with how you give you know females hands in marriage to males how you unify families i can't get into all of it i, I don't right. even know if we studied it we'd ever really understand it right but basically when you married a woman if she if that family had adopted another girl to basically save her uh she would be a maidservant or a, like a bonded best friend mm -hmm. you know a bff forever yes to to this gal and she would go and they were they were closer than sisters in many ways and so they would go together. And so what happened is there became a practice, not saying it's good or bad, but they had a practice of if, you're, if you couldn't have children or even bear a male, then your maidservant or your BFF who's bonded to you was given in the marriage as well. So they were kind of seen as a sort of wife, right? I guess is how the best way to explain it. So that's what's going on here. And, and, um, that's so so Leah and Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah all gave birth to a total of 12 sons. So that's pretty remarkable. That's a very full quiver. That's as a you, very, as you like to say. Like to say a, that's a full quiver. <laughs> and then Leah's fourth son, which is Judah. And you notice that these names of these boys all correspond to the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. That became very dominant in the land of Canaan. And it talks about how he went, he, he leaves his brothers uh, and he goes and he gets married. He gives birth 
and they bear children and then his boys get married and then he didn't do a really good job of raising his boys because they were kind of jerks and we don't know why but what happened is his oldest gets married but because he was really evil he dies young Mm -hmm. and so they had a custom and their custom was well if the oldest boy gets married and dies before he births children then the second son is supposed to he has his wife but he's supposed to take his older brother's wife and then bear children through her to carry on the older brother's name and, th- and this was part of the culture and that is where they celebrated the firstborn right you said almost worship the firstborn mm-hmm. lineage and what's really fascinating is this gets into a whole discussion about uh, whether the old testament is descriptive or proscriptive and when you see a lot of people today getting confused is when they go to the old testament and they read it as a proscriptive way for us to live and for those in our audience who don't know what proscriptive is (laughs) which also might be me (laughs) why don't you uh quickly define that briefly (laughs) basically people go and say well the old testament advocates polygamy the old testament advocates slavery the old testament advocates these things and they well how do you know that well because it says in these stories that this happened and go well actually what he's doing is and as you read it over and over and over again is that they're describing what they did similar to a history book a history book does not encourage you to continue practicing old correct now now you could go to other places and say oh okay well in leviticus or whatever for the jewish people in under the old covenant and the old testament law These things were prescribed. Okay, that's fine. But as you're reading history, like Genesis is just a whole boatload of history. This is what happened. Right. You know, and what's really fascinating is in it is you see this over and over again is that the the culture was to worship the firstborn. But as you read these stories, it's fascinating that God always picked like the second or the last right like for instance Joseph, he wasn't into that yeah it was something we came up with and he's like yeah, yeah that's nice that you think that's good but uh i know a, better so it's interesting how even you, know, you you see god subverting these people well intentioned wanted to follow god but they adopted all these cultural norms that were outside of god's desire and how he even subverts that a little right. bit you know for instance as you read later on in history books you see how in that society is very very patriarchal women had no role in many ways they couldn't own property they can do anything and yet god uses women in all these unique ways right and so that so he really elevates them uh, in a countercultural way the other thing is that the early jews were also very uh i don't want to use this term but they did not like other ethnicities okay mm-hmm. and some people would say they were xenophobic meaning they had fear of other ethnic groups and uh, there's various reasons, some legitimate and some not for that. But what happened is over time, they came to the thing is that God has forbidden us to intermarry with other races, mm. you know, for, to keep the covenant. So we're going to take that one step further. And what we're going to do is we're going to say that we're not going to have anything to do with uh, women or anybody that wants to even proselytize or become a part of Judaism. And it's really fascinating because when you go back to the book of Matthew and you read about the ancestry of Jesus, you see all these women who were outside the Jewish 
ethnicity being adopted into Judaism, and then they are actually named in the ancestral lineage of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Hmm. So there's so God again, subversion. God's subverting that. So it's, there's a lot of rich stuff in these old stories, but Judah and Tamar is basically how uh, Judah treats Tamar poorly, and he kind of cheats her because he's afraid, you know, his, his boys keep dying. And instead of uh, it being his fault and the way he raised his kids, it's obvious that it's Tamar's fault whom they married. Mm-hmm. You know, it's my boys can do no wrong. It's all your fault. So he kind of cheats her. And so she deceives him and then ends up uh, uh, showing that his own hypocrisy. So that's kind of what is happening there. And the takeaway, I think, for this one is simply that... Uh, Judah really had was operating without any restraining principle, right? There was no guidance or leadership. He's just out there doing what he wanted, and he propagated that to his sons, and ultimately what that did is that had really bad outcomes, bad consequences for, yeah, he didn't restrain. And so what I think the principle in chapter 38 and why I think it's there is to show almost a uh, a contrast between how Judah operated, just doing what he wanted, and then Joseph, who was in ten times worse situation than Judah, how he chose not to go that route. Very interesting. It is very interesting. Now, it seems like in chapter 39, we actually get back to Joseph. Um, yes. Where does the story pick back up with him? Because I think, you know, it's kind of like that that chapter 38 section kind of is like when you're reading another book and they're like here here's this random side story going yeah. <laughs> on and it's in there for contrast and obviously to give you a lot of um uh, i don't know I'm, the word i'm is is failing me because apparently i woke up too early <laughs> but it's giving you comparisons between yeah. what the two of them are going through and so yeah. now you're rejoining i guess the main character our main focus and really and checking in on what he's now doing because we left him yeah. in a pretty dire straits mm-hmm. um, he was what, just sold he to was Potiphar. just sold right so yeah. where's he at now well, it's really interesting as we pick up the story, and that is Joseph is a servant in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was a part of the Egyptian ruling class. He was the captain of the guard. He was very high up. And what's really important is a lot of people are not aware that from about 4,000 B.C. up to about 1,000 B.C., you, the most predominant, powerful empires in the world where, where there was an empire in China. So they go back and, and you can read about all these ancient dynasties there mm-hmm. and the Egyptian dynasty. The Egyptian was the most technologically advanced. It was the most highly educated. And what is really fascinating is that he basically is bought by, at that time, the most powerful both economically and militarily empire in the world at that time and so because we're we're somewhere around 2000 bc 1800 bc you know nobody really knows for sure Uh, A lot of people will stand up, make confident assertions, but they're extrapolating. And that's what I always say. Be careful when people extrapolate. In other words, they say, I'm going to take this fact, this fact, and this fact. And those are all facts. But then they draw a conclusion, which is a little bit of a leap. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so it doesn't say exactly 
that this is what time it happened. And so he's there and he's 17 when he gets there. And if you read, the first thing that happens is he becomes very successful in the house of Potiphar to the point where Potiphar turns everything over to him and just quits thinking about it. Hmm. You know, so he shows himself very young. He's very capable. He has high character. In other words, instead of being bitter, you know, my brother sold me into slavery. This is horrible. I want to go home. What did he do? He, he, he did his, he took his gifts, his skills, and he, he was very, uh, uh, high character God and dealt with his master, honestly. And so he wins a lot of favor with them. And so uh, uh, over the next few years, we don't know how long this takes, but he obviously goes from a boy to a man. And it says, you know, he's very handsome. Uh, the verse six, it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And if they're noting that in the Bible, then it yeah. must have some major significance. Yeah. So by saying form and appearance, what they mean is that uh, physically he was very in great shape, good looking. And then his face was very, his, his appearance, his face was very handsome as well. Mm -hmm. So he was the whole package, so to speak. And so it came about in verse seven that his master's wife desired him. She lusted after him and probably mostly she was bored. And at that time, when we go back and we study the ruling class of Egypt, it was very sexually promiscuous, you know. And so so she tried to bring him into that and he refused. And he's he it's interesting what he he basically says to her is he says in verse eight says, look, my your master or your husband, my master has entrusted me with this. OK, so I'm not going to do anything because you're part of this stewardship. But then he ultimately does something that I think is really fascinating. And he but he equates, I'm not going to do it because it would be a sin against God. So it's not like, well, I'm not going to do it because it's a sin against Potiphar. He's not worried about upsetting the master, he, his yeah, master. Yeah, he was saying uh, the reason I'm not the reason I'm not going to do this is, well, it'd be wrong against my master. But wronging my master is actually a sin against God, hmm. which is really important in today's world, because in today's world, we basically do this. And that is, is that, well, I can sin against you because you're a jerk. Right. Mm -hmm. And he could say, well, I'm going to sin against Potiphar and do this because Potiphar bought me. Right. And so what people don't realize is that even in the worst of situations, Christians don't have a license to just sin because we think the person who's treating us unjustly is a jerk. Right. So which is really interesting. So then what happens is she tries and you read about she tries over and over and over again. And, you know, the old cliche there. Uh, what is it? Hell hath no fury like, like a, a woman, woman scorned. scorned and she was scorned. So one day what happens is she tries to grab him and throw him on the bed or something. And he runs out and she's holding on to his jacket. So she's had enough. She falsely accuses him. Potiphar comes back from military campaign or something. She tells him and he's thrown in jail. Mm. Okay. For a crime he did not commit. So here you are, Joseph, maybe around 20 years old. Your, your family, your brothers tried to kill you and sell you into slavery. Okay. Number two, 
you turn around and you're falsely accused of a crime you didn't commit in a foreign country and now you're in prison. Uh, to me, that seems like a perfect recipe for bitterness at God. Yes. Right? Okay, why God. Why would you do this to me? Why is all your fault? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but what's interesting is uh, verse 21, it says, the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The jailer didn't even supervise anything. Isn't that interesting? Didn't even supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Hmm. Isn't that fascinating? So now he's in jail, but the Lord is still blessing him with all of these unusual gifts. The jailer's just like, here, you're in charge of the inmates. Here's the keys to the the jail. (laughs) There's that old uh, phrase where it's like, you know, the inmates are running the asylum. But in this case, it's like he really is. And it seems to be a good thing. Well, it's really fascinating because... uh, It'd be really easy for him to get bitter at God, to mm-hmm. get angry at God, um, but he he doesn't, and he continues to use what God gave him, which I think is really an amazing testimony to his character. Absolutely, and and you keep uh, bringing up his character. So is that the end of? 39 is that the end of our chapter yeah that's the end of chapter 39 yep so what are the main principles you kind of see throughout this so far that apply to us now because i mean again we talked about this a little bit in the intro to the series last week you know this is all ancient history literally in a lot of ways how could this apply to us i think i mean it seems like you're um bringing up his character a lot and that might be one of them if i'm just guessing i don't know but well i think the the thing it's so, it's really important to to understand a very basic principle here and that is is that some people study these things trying to find clues in order to predict what's happening now and what will happen hmm. other people read these things and say there there's some spiritual principles that are biblical that allow me to navigate anything that does happen, regardless of what it is. And I tend to kind of fall on that second side. Okay. Uh, a lot of people will read the Old Testament and they make a lot of numerology and names. And, and those things are important. I'm not trying to say they're not important. But when you try to use them, your extrapolation gets pretty broad and, you know, so that you can start saying, oh, well, this is what's going to happen now. So it's, it's used to be predictive. And I think what's really this is here was to show is that, look, there was a massive change in the ancient uh, life of the nation of Israel. And it's basically in Genesis, the whole story of that Moses is writing is how in the world did we end up in Egypt anyway? You know, why did God send us there if he knew it was going to be so bad? And he's, he's basically saying is that, well, be careful making a lot of judgments about God's character, because a lot of times you just don't know. And that's what at the end of the story, it's really fascinating because the brothers, after their father dies, you know, get nervous again and they go to Joseph and Joseph says what you meant for evil, God has redeemed for good. And so I think some of the main principles for us is this, is that 
Number one is that in any situation, no matter how bad things get, your biggest challenge will be remaining faithful to God. Hmm. You know, I, I think one of the things is, is that we have huge expectations that God is supposed to make our life easy. And so as things get worse and we suffer, the biggest temptation is to get mad at God. And the reason why Satan wants us mad at God is because then we can rationalize our rejection of God. Hmm. You see, and that is, is that we can just give up on God. God doesn't work. God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God doesn't this. God doesn't that. And so a lot of people will just abandon the faith, you know, and we're seeing a lot of that more. You know, we'll talk about this in the next episode on Thursday. Um, I think no matter what happened to Joseph, he did not use his circumstances to justify or rationalize sinful behavior. He said, look, it doesn't matter because how bad things here on earth get, whatever my circumstances, is that, you know, I, I had this real experience with God in these dreams, and ultimately... I'm going to spend eternity with him. And so I'm not going to play the short game. I'm going to play the, the long, long game. game. And that's, that's hard for Christians, particularly American Christians. Right. Because we live in an immediate society, and there's something that can ease any pain you have, any suffering you're going through. Instant gratification. Instant gratification. And so, but that's changing for Christians, I think. Uh, and so we need to t learn this and kind of take something from it. The, the second thing is that, is that if you look at Joseph's life in chapter 39, you notice that he gained favor by simply working hard. Mm. You know, he was faithful in his work. So when you're in a bad situation, uh, focus on what you can do with what you have. Let's say you're, you're working right now in a place where you feel maybe it's a hostile work environment. Maybe it's a, a, a place where you don't feel you're, you're being treated as fairly as you would like to be treated. Now, sometimes what Christian people will do is say, well, because they're sinning against me or they're evil, then that gives me the right to return evil with evil. Or mm -hmm. it, it gives me a right to, you know, not work my hardest or whatever. And, and I think resist that temptation. And that is, is that is until you're able to move and trust the Lord to take a, a step out or the Lord moves you out, then you need to learn how, regardless of what's happening out there, you can be a person of high character, high integrity. And that is the best thing that you'll ever do for your faith. And what that also does is that opens up doors for where God wants to lead you. So let's say you're in a situation where you're stuck working from home, you find your motivation is slipping away, your kids are unruly, they're constantly interrupting you, you and your wife are both having to work from home and you're trying to balance this out. It's a bad situation. So you can sit around and wonder, well, how do people do this? Or, you know, woe is me. And you can have yourself a pity party and you can feel sorry for yourself. And you know, there can be miniature violins in the background playing songs to, you know, <laughs> to take your side. And you want to talk to your friends and you want them to take your side. But in the end, none of that does you any good spiritually. Your heart isn't going to get fuller the more negative you are and the more pity you have for yourself. The key is, is that you've got to turn and say, well, look, if Joseph was able to work his way out of this, then there's things I can do too. Uh, for instance, get into a new routine with your kids, you know, get down to a routine. 
the best thing you can do for kids it will ease their constant outbursts and their lack of emotional stability is by having a very structured routine that's very good for kids you know um i remember when our kids were really little i remember we always sent them to bed at a certain time Mm -hmm. and so they decided to arm wrestle with us you know i'm not tired i don't want to go to bed blah 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 and so what i always said to them is i don't care if you're tired or not you don't have to go to sleep because they were in that you can't make me go to sleep phase i don't know probably five or six (laughs) or something like that i said i don't care this isn't jake at 15 still doing this (laughs) (laughs) jake is awesome and so what happens is is i just we would just say look we don't care you know you go to bed at eight o'clock you can sit there and you can stare at the ceiling you can you know build a race car in your head or ride horses in the field in your head but you're going to be in your bed and your feet can't touch the floor and there's not going to be any lights on okay and so we sent them to bed at the exact same time and after a while you know i just say hey get ready for bed you go through this process you know and one of the hardest things about doing this for your little kids is when you first start to get them ready for bed they might have 10 things that they have to do you know they have to kiss their dog good night they have to kiss mom they have to get their pajamas on they have to brush their teeth they have to have a snack they have to have a drink of water they have to have this so they're going to come up with 10 or 11 things and as a parent you start thinking wow this kid's a master of procrastination (laughs) wow let me tell you kids are brilliant and so what you do is you say okay we're going to do these things and then then you can say look now our next step is okay last week we did 10 things now we're going to do nine Okay, what, what are your favorite nine on this? What could you skip? Right. And then the next week you say, we're going to do five things. And your goal is to get it down to three or four things, you know. All right, kiss the dog, kiss mom, brush your teeth, go to bed. Right. <laughs> kind of a thing. So, you know, you can have a pity party about the pandemic, about working from home. It's easy to feel sorry for yourself because you have a lot of reasons to feel sorry for yourself. Your life wasn't what it was. It's not normal anymore. It's different. Right. However, if you let the pity win, you lose. And that's a big deal, especially if you believe that God is in charge and God wants to do something in your life, that Jesus Christ is going to speak into you and move you. And how do you get your motivation back? How do you get back on top of your game? How do you get moving forward in your faith? Well, do what Joseph did and be faithful with what you have. Don't dream about what you don't have. Be faithful with what you do have. Very interesting. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. We'll expand more on this on Thursday um, and uh, continue on these topics and kind of see more application to them. But we thank you guys for joining us. We do encourage you to Um, leave us a review this allows uh, the algorithm to get this podcast out so others can listen to it rate it five Um, stars rate it five stars even if it's not worth it (laughs) (laughs) i think it's worth it we haven't had anybody uh i mean we've gotten a lot of comments um here in the church that people are really enjoying it so rate it the five stars uh leave a comment if um leave a review and uh, if you're if you're watching on youtube you know, subscribe, leave a like, leave a comment. That all helps us get the message out. And so uh, we'll see you guys on Thursday for the next episode of The Salty Pastor.